Hey guys, Matt here with the Chocolate Croissants Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by our very good friends at Nata Tattoo, a certified all-natural, all-vegan, and all-organic premium tattoo care brand. Their renowned tattoo care kit covers all steps from how to treat and protect your fresh tattoos to how to keep them healthy and looking great even when they're fully healed. Now, I personally have a bunch of tattoos, and I've always struggled with finding the best aftercare treatments because I have super sensitive skin. Even my tattoo artist, Mr. Eric Willis, you can follow him on Instagram, at Drill by Willis, will tell you that he is super careful while tattooing me because my skin has the tendency to become super inflamed and get ripped up. I actually have some scars in some of my tattoos just from some really bad aftercare treatment that I used previously. Um, so I'm, I'm extremely picky about what I use. And when I had the chance to use uh, the Nata Tattoo Care Kit on one of my fresh tattoos recently, I was presently surprised with the results. It healed up perfectly and it looks great. I started with their cleanser that they offer as part of their tattoo kit. And for the first few few days, I applied that along with the lotion that they offer as the second piece of their tattoo kit. And then finally have continued using the balm, which is the third piece of their tattoo kit. Now the cleanser was super easy on my skin, really doesn't have a strong scent at all. If, if any scent, I mean, it's barely noticeable. Um, the lotion smells and feels really great. It doesn't leave an oily residue and it reduces the inflammation and infection it actually feels really good going on. And then the balm has kept everything looking really, really good. It looks like restored from, from from you know, like the first day that I got it, and it's fresh. And you know, I always think that the second day of a tattoo always looks the best. And with the balm being applied every single day since, um, that's what it looks like. It looks like I just got the tattoo, so it looks great. Um, I also have been using the moisturizer and the balm on my older tattoos, some of which are years and years and years old now. And it's pretty, cre- uh, pretty, pretty freaking cool um, how much these tattoos pop. Like I said, even years later. Um, so you know, just a little bit of history, very briefly on. The the brand, um, Justin and I got the chance to meet the folks at Nata Tattoo while we were attending the Health Expo East when it was here in Baltimore some weeks back. And we had a chance to speak with Nata Tattoo's founder. Uh, her name is Christy. And we were really happy to learn that Nata Tattoo is actually a family company that she started um, because she was in search of the best products for her own children's sensitive skin. So initially she started a brand called Pura Botanical, uh, which offers luxury bath products that are natural, safe, organic, and that would not damage or harm her own children's sensitive skin when they would clean up. Um, but then as her kids got older and they're, they're now grown men, uh, they started getting tattoos of their own and she decided to form and begin Nata Tattoo as a way to offer tattoo care that would achieve the same results as the soap products did by protecting and basically uh, keeping care of her kid's skin after they got tattooed. So basically, in a nutshell, Christy is a super mom who created this brand out of the love and passion for her own children. She's probably going to kill me for saying that, but it is what it is. She's a super mom. Um, And now what's so cool is that she's offering these helpful products for all of us other inked up kids out there. Um, and you know, we got to say thanks mom for that. Um, the company is also huge into philanthropy. They do a lot of work locally in Florida. Uh, they also do work overseas and their goal has always been to create authentic products that work and that have been built off of the foundation of a mother's love. And frankly, it doesn't get much better than that. I got to say. So whether you have existing tattoos or you're in the process of getting fresh ones right now, I'd highly recommend giving Nata Tattoo a try. The company has been 
very, very kind to us, and they've actually opted to provide all of you listeners with a special discount code that gets you 25% off of any of the products in their store, including the tattoo kit that I described before that comes with the cleanser, the lotion, and the aftercare balm. If you like to purchase this stuff and use your discount, just simply visit natatattoo.com. That's spelled N-A-T-A. T-A-T and the number two dot com. Once again, that's N-A-T-A-T-A-T com and use the code CHOCOLATE25 in all caps. That's all one word. CHOCOLATE is all caps. The number is 25 at the end. CHOCOLATE25. Use that at checkout and get your 25% off all of the products on natatattoo.com. You can also check them out on their socials. On Instagram specifically, they're at natatattoo. And once again, you can get your discount right now at natatattoo.com. That's N-A-T-A-T-A-T-2.com with the code CHOCOLATE25. Uh, hi, everybody. Matt here with episode number 30 of the Chocolate Croissants podcast. Uh, I am currently in Baltimore City, sitting alongside Mr. Jordan Goodman at his place, which is the Chocolate Croissants headquarters. And we are using our Rode mic NT-USB uh, to talk to our other podcast partner and Jordan's little brother, Justin Goodman. Where are you, Justin Goodman? What's my place called? I'm in my house. What's this place called? The little the little chocolate. It's the little doggy compound. Den. All right, yeah, I'm at the do- little doggy den. Yeah, you're at the you're at the doggy den with the dogs, and you're hanging out with your Rode NTSB uh, NTUSB microphone as well. Um, <laughs> so. For those of you that don't know, this episode, um, as we mentioned, is brought to you by our very good friends at Nata Tattoo, who are a premium tattoo care company, as well as our friends at Rode Microphone. And uh, all of us currently are utilizing their products to uh, blast this episode right into your ears. So um, this week has been a little crazy. We were originally supposed to have a guest on, uh, our good friend Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com. However, uh, it was a little tough with scheduling between all of us, but then um, I actually ran into some personal challenges this week. One of my family members uh, fell ill, ended up in the hospital, and that took up most of my time and attention and was my main priority this week. So uh, given that that was sort of all up in the air, we really couldn't schedule anything and uh, things are, are better now, but it has definitely been crazy. And we'll talk more about that as we dig into to what we're going to discuss today on the episode. But um, for episode 30, you have the three of us. And we figured that this would be a great chance to you know thank everybody for your attention thus far, for tuning in for 30 full episodes. Uh, we're very, very excited about where this podcast uh, is currently and where it's going and all the things that we have in the works. Uh, and we're just very thankful, as I said, to have everybody who has tuned in from day one or even from this episode uh, being your first. We're just we're grateful that you're here. So we really appreciate that. And not only will this episode just be the three of us in a sense, because the structure of today's episode is really because of you guys in the Facebook group. So if you're unaware of what that is, facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants. And a few days ago, uh, I told you guys up front, hey, because of some scheduling issues and things going on, uh, we're going to postpone Mike's episode. And I asked for your guys' feedback, whether it was direct questions or just suggested topics. 
and a lot of you guys came through and we're gonna honor that. And because of the community that we're continuing to build on, uh, on the private Facebook group, which you're all welcome to join if you haven't already, uh, it's really all of us making episode 30 a, uh, a thing for all of us to enjoy this week. I would say that is a great description of episode 30. And with that being said, we are going to dig into some questions. Um, there's quite a few, and it's funny. It's like we haven't really talked about this kind of stuff in a while. We've been really focused on our guests, so I'm excited to see what you guys have to say because there's some pretty good questions in here. Um, so, Justin, unless you have something that you want to lead with, we will kick off questions. Do you have anything you want to say before we dig in? No. Easy enough. Wow, Justin, that was the most succinct you've ever been. Thank you. I actually do. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, everybody check out Thundercat on the, uh, was it NPR Tiny Desk? Because that's been ruling my world. Awesome. Very good. I'd, uh, I haven't seen that, but just knowing from my expectations, I would co-sign on that suggestion. Yeah, they rip. Hey, Justin, I like the content you've been putting out on your Instagram lately. Um, Thanks, man. About nutrition and the meals you're cooking, the meals you're, you're making, the inspiration and the motivation you have to get out there and exercise and run and challenge yourself. For those that don't follow us on our socials yet, you should definitely do that. So Jordan is at Jordan Beatwell on Instagram and Twitter. Justin, what's your social? Justin Blake Goodman on Instagram, right? That's like your that's where you really mainly post stuff. That's my go-to. Cool. And then you can find me I'm Matt Periphery pretty much everywhere. Um, okay. So, let's dig into our first question, which is from Mr. Sam Pollock, who we all know very well. He's been a member of the group since the beginning and uh, he's actually a drum student of both mine and Jordan's and I think he's an exercise student of Justin's now. So, we've had a lot of interaction with Sam and it's kind of cool. So, Sam's question ties directly into our sponsor, uh, Nata Tattoo, which is, uh, which is always nice when you can put those things together. And Sam wants to know about each of our individual tattoos and their inspiration. Uh, and stemming from that, how we were comfortable enough to commit ink to our body permanently uh, in a way that like, allows us to be true to what we're putting on ourselves, know that we're not going to get sick of it, and, and basically like how we know ourselves well enough to do something permanent like that. Um, so I probably have the most lengthy answer with my tattoos, so maybe you guys want to go first. Do you have a count, first off, of how many tattoos you do have? I have no idea. Okay. I, no, not really. Uh, Justin, you have one, correct? I do. What's the story of that one? So, uh, for years through high school, I would always draw on my left wrist and I'm not really sure why it ended up being probably because I'm right handed and it was easier to draw on my left. I would always end up drawing things that were inspirational to me on the inside of my left wrist. And, um, for years there were a couple of things that I wanted and I always had the idea that you might as well draw it on yourself first and let it and sit with the idea for maybe six months. And then if you decide you really like that, then maybe sit with it for like two more years. And then if you really decide it's, it's go time, then you get it. Uh, and I ended up doing it as a group with, um, 
with two friends that I was in a band with. Jordan was in that band as well, but didn't get one that day. We went with him a few months later, I think it was, to get his first tattoo. But um, yeah, the three of us went together to get stuff and I ended up, I kind of knew what I wanted. I had this little nook in the, the upper left corner um, on my wrist and I decided to just get a, uh, an eighth note and it was just something representative of my journey through music and how most of the things I was doing at the time was uh, was inspired by music. And, and that's it. So I got it. It's easy to cover. Uh, I wear a watch a lot of the time, so I cover it with my watch. Uh, and it's for me. It's not really for anyone else. And that's the story of my lone tattoo. It took like 45 seconds. Would you really have had that design on your wrist for like six months yeah i actually so um With i was straight yeah 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 so i was straight edge in high school um kind of coming off the back of i think i tried drinking when i was like 14 or so at parties and i was like man this is just really stupid i felt like um we were going to these school dances and you could see our eyes were bloodshot we reeked of alcohol we weren't necessarily drunk but you could tell that we had been drinking and i was like man the the opportunity that all of us currently have of going to this this like amazing school where i was at at the time we're like throwing it away and we could easily be kicked out of the school for this like clear violation. And this is just really dumb. And I was, I was glad that I had, uh, I guess like the wherewithal or the, the smarts, the wits to know then that this was just not on my radar or something that I wanted on my radar. So I decided through a lot of the bands that I was into, um, to kind of follow a bit of, of like a straight edge lifestyle. I wasn't super hardcore about it, but uh, I was into it. And um, so I stopped all that. But and for a while, I would draw three X's on my wrist because I wanted the straight edge symbol. And I'm very glad I didn't go that direction because it was just something that that happened. Uh, it was part of my life, but short lived. Um, and yeah, and then I ended up because I always liked I, don't know, I always liked black tattoos and I always liked just really small like mementos. And so I was I don't know I, I always enjoyed what eighth notes looked like it's symmetrical and pretty. Yeah, and I would draw them all the time on things, and I would draw it in that little nook on my wrist. And when the time came, I just knew I was like, this is what I want. Here's where I want it. And they were like, it's small. It might get blown out of proportion over the years or whatever. And I was like, I don't really care. It's for now, and I was 18, and I was pumped about it. And now, 12 years later, I still enjoy it. Well, that's cool. You brought up a good point with the the straight edge X's of, you know, we grow and we change. And I was going to ask you how old exactly were you when you got the tattoo? Because, you know, you can make a decision that's permanent when you're 15. But being a 15 year old, being an 18 year old, it's like you're a completely different person in many respects. Uh, Matt, how old were you when you got your first tattoo? I was 18. Okay. And I guess for me, I would have been 19 or so. Um, sure. For mine, it was one of those things. I remember going with the three of you to get your tattoos. I think mine was only a couple weeks later. And I liked the idea of all four of us doing it together, but I wasn't set on what I wanted. And for me, it was important that it's something that, I, that had meaning for me. So for me, on like above my left hip, on the side of my body, uh, if any of you guys know the uh, the record Kid A by Radiohead, 
uh, I don't even think it's part of the actual album art. If you buy the record, it may be, but I know it's part of the, I guess, the visual branding in general that it exists digitally and in the, the print marketing for that record. It's this little bear with these sharp teeth. Uh, so that is what I have. It's like a small, simple black design. And for me, what that record represents is, is, is I guess, this ideal or philosophy or whatever the, the term may be. But it's something that I want it to live. And I, I knew that even 50 years from getting the tattoo, I knew I still want it to live in the spirit of that. And, and basically, if you're not really familiar with, I guess, the, the career of Radiohead, you know, they put out their first record in, in I guess, the early 90s, and, and Creep was the lead single. And still, if you go on like a Spotify uh, and look up, I guess, the, the plays of Creep, I'd imagine it the vast majority of plays for Radiohead are that song. And if you listen to them on radio, it's normally that song. And so, first record out, it's very easy for them to get labeled as a one-hit wonder. Their second record, The Benz, for me, is this defining Brit pop record, which had uh, it wasn't like a whole record of creep, and I respected that. And then their third record, uh, OK Computer, I think that was '97. That was very groundbreaking uh, in the sense that it had these uh, more electronic elements to it for a rock band. Uh, there was these themes that felt futuristic about uh, technology and this like impending doom of what that means and for OK Computer it was like again they they didn't do what they had done before which they had success with and by I guess staying true to their creative vision they became much bigger uh, like an actual arena rock band not only in Europe but in the States as well and then OK Computer came out I think around maybe 2000 this is like the Napster era and you'd think, like, what is a band like this going to do next? And they put out a record, Kid A, that was, like, void of vocal melody and, and really didn't have an obvious single. And it had this very, very electronic, uh, I guess, foundation to it where they pretty much abandoned guitars and, and live drums to a certain extent. And they really became this band who really had a singular vision and seemed like didn't give a fuck uh, about their business and the record labels or even their fans and what the fans would come to expect. And they went all in on their vision and they became even bigger because of it. And for me, that was so powerful in the sense of stay true to yourself and these things that we talk about, even just authenticity. And if you do that, then in the end, things work out. And for a band like Radiohead, it, it worked out big time. And I just liked the idea that they didn't do what I'm sure what was expected and suggested, uh, especially by people that they were doing business with. Um, beyond that, it's an amazing record. Uh, I got a second tattoo a couple years later. Totally different story in the sense that I think I decided the day before uh, I wanted to get this tattoo. Now, mind you, I was smoking a lot of weed during that time. Uh, <laughs> but pretty much on my thigh, I have the old school WWF tattoo uh, from like the, the mid 80s. And I remember at this time, 
I started getting into wrestling again. There was a period from about, I don't know, maybe being 15, 16 years old until like maybe being 20 or 21. I still paid attention to, to wrestling, but it, it didn't really capture me week to week. Uh, and then I, I went to a show and I almost fell in love with it all over again. And, and that tattoo really represents uh, me as a child being, I guess, maybe five years old and witnessing this thing on TV that really, it, it felt so different from anything else that I had ever experienced. And really now, I mean, 25 years later, uh, my career right now is in pro wrestling, uh, which is, is really surreal. But I still have that feeling of, I, I can't think of any other form of not only entertainment, but just any other experience, live experience or, or through the television that really encompasses all that pro wrestling communicates and represents for me. And uh, even though it was a, like a day of or day before decision, uh, it still feels uh, like a good decision to me. I like the idea that it's on my thigh and in that sense, it's symbolic of it's foundational of who I am. And I think that's part of what Sam was asking about tattoos and how and if that represents knowing who you are and being true to yourself. And so for me, I'd say the tattoos I do have very much do. Um, I don't know if I'm ever gonna get another one. It's been over 10 years. I almost got Master Shake. You ever watch Aqua Teen, mm -hmm. Hunger Force, Matt? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, did you ever watch it, Justin? Um, Characters. You get hand banana. Hand. Ah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, I was very close. Uh, if if you know Aqua Teen Hunger Force, the the cartoon on uh, Adult Swim. Uh, so their house, the door is the shape of Master Shake. So it, which is just this milkshake, uh, and uh, it's just an outline. I almost got that. And then I was like, eh, I don't know. I think if I did have it today, I'd still think it was fucking awesome, though. Uh, yeah, I mean, once you have one tattoo, and then two, what's three? What's five? I, well, okay, so, but, look, I have two now, but having two tattoos in places that really aren't visible unless, like, I'm at the beach or someone's taking my pants off, it's different than having, like, what you have, Matt. I'm looking at you now, and... You're wearing a hoodie, but the sleeves are kind of rolled up, and I see significant ink. Yeah. Well, so I stopped really caring about what kind of, you know, like, I stopped agonizing over whether or not I should get a tattoo pretty early, you know? So my first tattoos were all family-oriented. I have something on my right arm for my mom. And then my whole left arm is essentially a dedication to my family and how my parents came together and then, you know, had my sister and myself and the things that, that, uh, that sort of were the, I guess, the, the, the big parts of both my parents' lives, um, specifically my dad's on my left arm. So just a brief understanding. On the bottom part of my wrist, on the inside, there's a portrait of my mom and dad kissing. And my dad sort of looks like Rambo because he was in Vietnam. <laughs> and uh, there's a tiger uh, that 
is there because my dad actually, when he was in Texas in the army, uh, he and some uh, some other of his his uh, teammates uh, in his group in the in the army um, raised the tiger from a very young age for a couple months. I think about eight months, and then they had to uh, give it to a traveling circus or some something along those lines. This was just like a stray tiger that rolled up on them. No, they rescued it. Uh, I don't know the exact story. I don't, I don't remember it. I have to ask him. And I actually want to have my dad on the podcast at some point because um, he's got stories for days. But he he raised a tiger, and then um, you know. So I thought that was that was kind of significant. Uh, understanding his love for animals and my love for animals, and it just kind of trickles down from there. Um, and then he flew cobra helicopters in Vietnam. So I have some cobras on my arm, and then. As you move up, I have some drums, and then I have a family portrait of myself, my sister, my mom, and my dad. And my mom is handing me drumsticks, uh, on you know, in the upper part of my arm. And it just symbolizes that my parents always supported me um, through what I was doing. And I, I wanted to get these tattoos because I figured that you know, when the time comes that my parents aren't around anymore. I'll always have that to look at. It's right on me. You know, it's it's a part of me now and it's important to me and I just ne- I knew I would never ever ever regret that. So that's my left arm and it's pretty much fully covered. It's like a full sleeve. Um, was your childhood drum set blue? Uh no, but it the blue toms here just made sense with like the the actual landscape of the of the tattoo as far as like the color goes. Because as you can see, there'd be too much red right. if we did it another way. So the drums sort of like fade into the sky, like a blue sky. So it's kind of cool. Um, and then I have a bunch of really stupid band tattoos that when I say that I stopped caring about getting tattoos uh, or like what I put on my body in terms of that, like that's kind of what I mean. Um, my band will come up with a bunch of random sayings or... We'll have our logos or these designs or just, you know, stupid little inside jokes. And uh, our merch guy, Stosh, who tours with us, is uh, he's a great tattooer, he's a great tattoo artist. Um, and he always has his stuff with him on the road. So whether we're in the bus or whether we're in a hotel room, some days we all just decide to do a band tattoo and we do it. And the last time we did it, we all got this, um, this tattoo that I have here on my wrist. Um, it does, wouldn't make sense to anybody, but it's a little design. But we all took turns using Stash's tattoo gun on him as well, giving him the same tattoo, and it looks like complete shit. But we didn't care. Uh, on my right leg, I have a Japanese devil mask that, uh, again, was sort of... It, it happened at the very beginning of a time when I really just didn't care about, like, tattoos as much as far as, like, you know, again, agonizing over whether or not to get them. And my tattoo artist was like, hey, I want to... Really want to t- tattoo a, a Japanese devil mask? You want you want that? I'll give it to you for free. And I was like, Yeah, fuck it. So that's what's on my right calf, and it is cool. Like I like it. It represents um, you know a certain mood for sure. And then lastly, on my right arm, uh, I have a whole bunch of uh, facial portraits of different movie and book monsters and characters I've always loved horror movies I've always loved scary books I'm a big fan of Stephen King Uh, I was a big fan of the 30 Days of Night um, comic series so uh, the graphic novel series I should say so I have um, I have a bunch of different vampire faces I have Pennywise the Clown I have uh, this character Rose the Hat 
who's from the book Dr. Sleep by Stephen King. Um, and at some point, I'll build that out further, for sure. I mean, there's more characters that I want to put on my arm and more scenes, but uh, I haven't really been in a rush to get tattooed lately just because my time has been sort of spent elsewhere, you know? Uh, um, what is it about the horror movie genre and the characters uh, that you resonate with to the point where you've dedicated an arm? I couldn't tell you. It's just a feeling. I don't know. I just enjoy it. Um, Do you like haunted houses? I like certain haunted houses. I don't like the kind of haunts that you go to where people can like run up and touch you and jump jump at you and because I, I just I, I get in this like defense mode and I don't like it. So we were talking about because we were just talking about this before we started recording Matt and I because I went to a Field of Screams in Lancaster, Pennsylvania last night. Uh, and it's amazing and I love love haunted attractions like that but I don't really care to go to see horror movies. Um, but they did like this one girl kind of like double fisted punched me in the gut and it was really intense and unexpected but I kind of liked it and they were taking my hat off and stuff like that Um, I don't know I love that stuff I don't know I just I wouldn't want to be touched in that sense I don't know why I've I've been to them before when I was younger and I never really enjoyed that experience of having them come so close because I don't know you just never know and then um, for those of you who have Netflix if you've seen the movie The House is October Built um, that's a good one if you're curious about these Halloween haunts and how crazy they can be so that sort of also solidifies my uh, sort of feelings about going to these things and why I really don't but I love graphic novels that are scary I love filming my own shorts uh, that are scary I love the characters of like when I was a kid I always loved Freddy Krueger at some point I'm sure I'll get him tattooed on me too I used to tell people he was my uncle when I was a kid <laughs> um, and yeah I just I'm, I'm uh, I don't know I just really enjoy it so I just know what I like so in that sense, uh, I'm confident that I'm not going to get sick of these these faces and these characters on my arm because I'll always like that stuff. Um, obviously, family is very important to me, so I'll have no regrets about having them on my body. And any of the band tattoos, uh, I would never regret either because it's sort of part of this ceremony with my bandmates that we all do this together. We've all done the same things together. We all share the same inside jokes. Um, so getting those things tattooed on me, although they're goofy and sometimes funny, they also represent uh, something that's very special between a, a small group of people that I'm privileged to be a part of. That's, so. that's cool and meaningful. Um, so I guess with that in mind, we'll do this this upcoming week in the Facebook group. I'll start a thread, and if you guys want to share like a picture of, of a tattoo that you have and maybe just uh, you know a paragraph about what it means to you why you got it what it represents all that what song was that Matt? I have no idea um then uh, uh we'll do that as a way to get all of you uh listening to this and in the Facebook group uh part of the conversation with us again um, real quick by the way that reminded me we were in Jewish Times Magazine this yeah. past week did you read it Matt? yeah I read it what'd you think? I thought it was great. It was very cool. Uh, I posted the link to the article in the uh, in the Facebook group if you want to check it out. Uh, when Misha was here for I think episode twenty seven, we had this this dude Connor, who's actually a bass player and musician too. Uh, he did a really nice article about us in Jewish Times, which is 
very surreal and amusing uh, and very lovely and kind. So, uh, but, but point being, he ended the article saying that what chocolate croissants is, is it doesn't just end with, with this audio, but it really uh, grows and comes most alive in this Facebook group. So that's why, that's why it came to mind there. So let's keep that tattoo discussion going because I'm interested in uh, the tattoos and the stories behind them of all you guys too. Yeah. So with that in mind, let's move on to, uh, to the next question. This comes from Blake Bays. Uh, it's the first time I've heard that name in the group. So thanks, Blake, and welcome. Uh, Blake is from Dayton, Ohio. And basically he's asking about, he's interested in auditioning for multiple bands. And it's a really good question to have. Uh, he's wondering if that's maybe the smartest thing to do or not. And for instance, what would happen if two bands had a show booked the same day, how he would navigate that. And what I've found interesting about this question is that, uh, and I've experienced this before, where for a few months at a time, I was in two bands, and one was the clear priority, and that always won out. But this doesn't just have to be for, if you're a musician or playing in bands, but really uh, all the commitments that we ultimately make in life. And what do we do when there's uh, two conflicting kind of like things coming up with those commitments? Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Matt? Uh, my dog just farted. That's the first thing. Fuck, I don't smell it yet. And yeah. Didi's like literally underneath me. Yeah, Tyson just ripped it. And he's, he's a champion. <laughs> Whew, it's a good thing you guys can't smell the airwaves. Um, anyway, that being said, priorities. Um, family first, always. And I know that that doesn't really relate to the question directly, <laughs> but... I mean, it applies to what I went through this week. So I was supposed to be in Mexico this weekend playing Not Fest Mexico with Periphery. And earlier this week, as I mentioned before, I had an immediate family member of mine who fell ill. And my priority and my responsibility was to my family member. It was not to go and play the show. So there were, I was faced with some options and, and, and we were all faced with a challenge. And really what it came down to at some point was okay i can't go to mexico do we cancel the show or do we find someone to fill in on the drums for me so that the band can continue to play the fans can can still see the band there and everybody's happy and um that ended up being the the option that we chose thankfully because we have uh periphery has an amazing network of of musicians that we're lucky enough to know and the person who I reached out to uh, immediately when this came up was Mr. J.P. Bouvet, who you guys have heard on episode 28? Yep. Uh, 20, yeah, 28. Yeah. 28. Yeah, J.P. was our guest on episode 28 of this podcast. So if you go back and listen to that, you'll hear a little bit about his mindset and get to know him. But it's a true testament of his ability to say yes to something and to rise to the occasion when there's a call of duty so to speak so i called jp and i was like look here's what's going on with me i can't make this this show do you think you can learn about 40 minutes of music <clears throat> in two days and uh he was he asked me a couple questions do i have transcriptions i did uh you know can i send him the music can i send him the set and i could do all those things and he was like yep i'm gonna do it i got this tell your bandmates you know, I'm on board. So in about two days, JP was able to learn about seven periphery songs, 
Uh, it took him pretty much, you know, most of his days and most of the hours in the day. But in talking to him about it, he really just paced himself and he didn't get freaked out and didn't feel overwhelmed. He just kind of had faith that there'd be enough time for him to learn it if he spent the hours throughout the day focusing on it. So this was his main priority for a couple reasons. One, I, I think that it was a really fun opportunity and he I know in talking to him he was looking for a really good challenge and this challenge sort of showed itself. Uh, two, I know he cares a lot about me and the situation that I was in and I know that he wanted to be able to help me as a friend. And then three, um, he's a professional. He's not going to accept any gig or, or do anything uh, unless he's doing it to his utmost ability. And that's why I went to him when I was faced with this challenge because I knew that if JP could do it, then he would and he would do it in the most professional manner as possible, which is what ended up happening. He ended up doing a great job. The show went on without a hitch. Um, and uh, and everybody in the band is super thankful and happy. So I just want to say thank you again to JP Bouvet for filling in for me. Um, and let me circle this back now to the, to the question, which is like, look, at the end of the day, the biggest priority is always going to be your loved ones and your family. Beyond that, you have to look at, okay, why am I taking this gig? Why am I taking this job? Am I passionate about this specific job and this gig? If so, then that should be always the priority, the thing that you're most passionate about. At the same time, if you're trying to take a job or start a company or audition for a band that, um, you know, isn't necessarily going to make you money off the bat, but is a passion project, but you still need to make money, then maybe you have to look at, okay, well, maybe my priority is the gig that's going to pay me so that I can then go focus on the thing that I am most passionate about and focus on my passion project. Um, and it all just kind of comes down to making quick decisions when you have the opportunity to do so. I think it's great to put yourself out there. It's great to audition for multiple bands because you gain experience. It's great to audition for multiple jobs or apply to multiple jobs if you're looking for a job. And it's great to try uh, different things when you know you're experimenting with filling your schedule with passion projects or things for fun but at some point it, it becomes obvious to you what is most important and where you want to focus your time and you have to really just kind of stop and ask yourself the question of like what is my priority what do I need right now and how can I make things happen and if you base your decisions off of those things I think you'll be able to quickly find the right uh, balance for all the things you want to do. You don't always have to like cut things out. You can do multiple things, but I think you have to sort of know again in a list what's number one, what's number two, what's number three. And remember, there's other people out there that can fill in for you. Um, there's other people out there who can take over your gig for you if need be. So if you find that you get accepted into multiple projects, but one of them becomes the passion project, then you can you know, you can keep that one and I'm sure that, that other project or subsequent project will find somebody to, to, to fill in for you or replace you if necessary. Justin, do you have any thoughts on that, man? Yeah, I'm going to take it from a, a different perspective. It To me, it felt like this question was coming from a place of, I'm like, I'm currently, I want to play in a band. I'm starting, I'm at that point where I want to audition for different bands. I think that's fantastic. I mean, that's kind of just fielding your options. If you're not 100% sure with the direction you want to go or the genre you want to play, then yeah, you should go feel out the vibe of each band. And you might come across two or three bands that have uh, a very similar vibe, but you actually get along with the people better. And that 
is to me as important as the music that you're playing. You got to get along with the people because it's it's a, a lot of um, it's a lot of dealing with other people. You know, it's like I always said, being in a band, if it's if it's three others with you, it's like having three girlfriends. You have to find ways to balance. You have to communicate well, uh, find ways to be honest with one another, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The same thing like with with any relationship. So I was taking this question from the standpoint of, hey, I want to start playing. Um, could I join multiple bands? And the reality is, yeah, there are tons of people who decide they just want to gig. And in that sense, then yeah, it's cool to join multiple bands, but to, I believe it was Jordan's point, um, you know, you, you have to prioritize and to match point as well. You have to prioritize and you have to realize, uh, where your priorities stand first and foremost, cause you have to do you first before taking care of anyone else. And in that you just have to make the best executive decisions you can make with whatever the variables are. So if you're in four different bands and on any given night, two of those bands have gigs and it's super conflicting, do as Matt was just saying and try to find a friend or someone who can fill in. And if not, just break the news and be honest and open with your mates and hopefully they're understanding. And if not, you know, the worst thing that happens is they say, Hey, we realize you don't really have the time and we want someone who's fully committed to this. And that's totally okay as well, because you then will have other projects to fall back on, or you can start the audition process again. Yeah, that's great. Cool. Yeah. I know for me, I can relate to the question in a sense. I'm living it right now as I'm adjusting to this new job with Ring of Honor. Uh, and they've been very generous with me to uh, create help, help me create a schedule where I'm still able to do things like this podcast, to still do the, uh, the therapeutic work I do uh, with Beatwell, to still do uh, the, the, the music lessons, the, the guitar and drum lessons that I teach. Um, but I've communicated to them that Ring of Honor is my priority right now. And even in the past, uh, this past weekend, I was asked to do a Beatwell gig in January. And uh, right now it seems like it's gonna conflict with, with a, a TV taping with Ring of Honor. And that's my priority right now. And it's one of those things, yeah, I wish I could be in two places at the same time. Uh, but ultimately, I know what my priority is, so I know the decision that needs to be made. Now. Uh, there are some Beatwell opportunities that I've been afforded in the spring that are really something I can't turn down and I know that the people at Ring of Honor can also be very understanding of that as well. So there's this give and take and again, as Justin said, it comes down to the communication of that. Um, so I think we, we tackled that question for Blake from a bunch of different angles. Uh, moving along, uh, another new name, and his middle name is Danger, which sounds like, like a MySpace name. So Matthew Danger Sherman from, uh, from Richmond, Virginia, not too far from us in Baltimore. Uh, so Matt is asking about refocusing. So he says, how do you guys get refocused after getting thrown off of your routine for whatever reason? I found myself being on top of things for a while, weeks or months, then getting either exhausted or getting sick. I then find myself being pretty useless for a while until I catch myself and find a way to reset and work my way back up on top. Any thoughts or advice? So off the bat, I really like that Matt said that he finds himself uh, being pretty useless, etc., etc. Uh, that's self-awareness. 
right? And and as we've kind of hammered from episode to episode, I think self-awareness is is the whole game. The process of making our unconscious conscious, I think, is the whole game. So ultimately, we're in control and our own programming from childhood or culture or whatever it may be isn't working us, but we're working it. Um, and, and being easy on ourselves. Like, look, it's not reasonable, I don't think, to be 100% like focused all the time because we're human and we have setbacks and that's natural. For me, um, the key thing is, is knowing what your goals are, right? So you may feel like you're having some momentum in life for whatever reason, maybe things are just kind of going well and adding up, but then you get uh, sick or something happens and you lose that focus. And then it may be hard to kind of get back to you know, that momentum because you didn't really know where you're headed in the first place. So I think having goals and very clear goals that you can even measure of this is going well or I'm getting closer or not. Uh, and that can be for career, that can be for a relationship, that could be for your physical health, whether it's exercise or nutrition or your mental health or whatever it is. But I know what helps me is knowing this is what I want, this is what I'm going after in many areas of my life. And then if shit happens because, I don't know, just say uh, like I dislocate my shoulder, which happened to me, and then like physically I can't do shit. And then I start to get like kind of depressed for a few weeks because like it's a shitty thing that happened. Like knowing where I wanna go, that helps me get refocused. Just to add on to that real quick, I also think on a daily basis, it's important to define what your your goals are and the things you need to get done each day. Um, so I know you keep a journal, Jordan, I'm pretty sure. Or like at least like you write lists for yourself and notes and reminders and things like that. It doesn't have to be any one method. Um, I personally like to make lists for myself. Typically, I'll try to do it the night before. Um, and I just make a list of like, the main things I have to get done that day. I actually use my calendar a lot on my phone for that and just set reminders of all the things I need to do. But by creating a list and by having a plan for the day that you can try to follow as best as possible and really filling it out, you can get a lot of stuff done pretty quickly and pretty early because you're not thinking about what to do and trying to find your, you know, try to figure out what you should be doing that day. If you define it the night before, before you go to bed, you wake up and you're like, here's my list. Here's what I got to conquer. You do it. And then you have a lot of time to sort of just like be useless if you want to, if you want to, you know, if you're feeling that just get shit done as soon as possible every day, plan, and then you can just do whatever you want. At least that's what works for me. I don't know. Justin, what do you think? Yeah, I'm kind of on the same tip. I like lists, um, but at the same time, I'm, to the to, I, this is like to the same point. We don't have to be super rigid. So, if you decide that lists are your thing for a couple months, then you start to feel like you're falling off. Well, then find the next thing that works for you. And for me, um, lists are great. I like the list. I like physically crossing something off that list. That gives me energy. And anytime I have energy, I find myself to be way more productive. So that gets me going and that gets me moving and fired up. Um, I also like to, uh, try to eliminate distractions as much as, as much as possible. Sorry for the flub there. Um, and in that, um, 
I'll do things like I'll, I'll catch myself. I'll say, man, I've been playing games on my phone too long, or I've been rechecking um, stuff that I don't need to check often, and and just try to stay as conscious uh, as possible with that stuff. And and at that point, then I'll just delete some stuff. Like if I have to delete the games off my phone, like I did yesterday, so be it. It helps me to stay a bit more focused when I have too many tasks uh, that I need to accomplish. For the, this for this question specifically. Um, I was trying to gauge the context and obviously I think each uh, Jordan and Matt are kind of, uh, you know, speculating, just coming up with various ideas to conquer, um, you know, different things that may come up. Uh, and for me, a lot of this, I, I relate a lot of this falling off track um, to fitness because I would hear it from clients all the time. They'd say, I don't know, Mr. Justin. I don't know, Justin. I I was doing so well, but then I fell off track. Who and calls I'd you Mr. Say, Justin? Uh, I had a couple people that were very conservative and uh, they would be like, hey, Mr. Justin, uh, I don't know. And I was like, and, and I, I wasn't going to, you know, I would say, you don't have to call me that. They'd be like, yeah, but it's the formality. I guess that's what they were used to. And it's like, That's cool. So he just call you from now on. Mr. Justin. Yeah, dude, Mr. Justin. I'm like, a, weird, right? Yeah, I don't, it, it was weird. But like when I say it, I would say it with the tone that they would say it. And then it wouldn't be weird. So real quick, let's dig into this because I haven't mentioned this to Matt ever in our friendship. So Matt, when you were a kid, and you would go to like a friend's house. Yeah, this is the Alexi story. Parents. This is Alexi story. Call them. Okay, because I always noticed, and I think it was this like, I don't know if it was just the culture of the religion, but it always seemed like all the all my Christian friends, their parents insisted on Mr. and Mrs. and their last name, and when they'd come hang at my place, they'd like call my mom like Mrs. Goodman, and she'd be like, "Why are you calling me that? Like my name's Randy." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's... I, yeah. But it was always just, like, the Christian friends. I don't know. I I kind of... I think I've just... It's, I don't know. It's, I don't think I would base it on religion, for me, in my experience. Okay. Yeah, that I actually do. Experience. I actually do. Because I remember it from uh, going to church a few times uh, with friends growing up, and I always felt like the respect um, of the elders you always refer to them as Mr. And, and Mrs. And I understand that, but it's weird. Like when I work in schools and, and a teacher or principal will introduce me as Mr. Goodman, like it makes me cringe, even like Mr. Jordan. And I just say like, my name's Jordan. And then I just expect that we'll all be respectful no matter like what we call each other. Anyway. Did you, did you guys ever see uh, Dave Chappelle's block party? I've seen scenes. I've never watched the full thing. Oh, cool. He goes, I think it was like his old school in Brooklyn or Bed-Stuy. He walks in. They're like, can you all say good morning, Mr. Chappelle? And like all the little kids are like, good morning, Mr. Chappelle. And then he's like, you know, can you all say good morning, Mr. Black Bush? And they do it. And he's like, man, kids will do anything. And I guess like to the same point, if someone had told us to say, oh, call me Mr. Or uh, call me something else. And you would just call him whatever they wanted to be called. I feel like I would want to call him Mr. Chappelle, though. Or Mr. Blackbush. respect for me. Yeah, I, Mr. Blackbush is good, too. Uh, Justin, do you feel like you uh, you fleshed out your response enough? Uh, just to, to finish the point. So a lot of people would just say, I don't know what happened. I fell off. And that can be uh, related to anything that you're trying to do. 
Um, you know, and, and a lot of it I would talk about, I, I'd written about this before, is it's just about the duration. So uh, the good thing is that uh, Mr. Danger here is uh, aware you know, eventually catches himself. And I think the more that he practices catching himself, the faster he'll catch himself. So the actual duration of the time that he fell off this supposed track won't be so long. Agreed. Well said. Uh, Thanks. Thank you, Mr. Justin. And thank you, Matthew Danger from Richmond. Uh, Mr. Danger. Our dude Ahmad Mir from Syria, uh, who we actually referenced in that Jewish Times article. So thank you for uh, that gift you've given to us, Ahmad. Uh, so he asked two questions. I think we should just tackle them separately and we'll just give some quick answers each. So the first, how do you usually deal with assholes or precisely people who lack rationale and just give you negativity most of the time uh, and noting that you can't get rid of some of these people? Uh, Justin, do you want to start with that one? Yep, I just said I'll go first or second. Sure. Um I think the the second part had to communicate through text when we're doing these not together. Yeah, I'm using iMessage on my uh, laptop, which we're still we're going to teach Jordan how to use that. Fancy man. Okay, so how Um, do you with assholes? Well, I wanted to go to the second point. The second point I think had to do with with people who aren't rational. Was that what you had said? Uh, yeah. Or, or and right. yeah, people who lack rationale or just give you know give you negativity. Sure. So I feel like this comes up more often than than it needs to, and I, mean, I wish I didn't have to use this so often. But the reality is, is you can't have rational conversations or find rational in things that are irrational, especially people that are being irrational. It's really, really important to try to see things from both sides uh, and and then try to come up with whatever rationale or uh, whatever your thoughts are based on seeing things from, from all sides and trying to figure out where people are. Because it's not black and white. Most things are very gray. Uh, and when it comes to people who are just not being rational and who are irrational, I, I just take it with a grain of salt and try to try to just move on because you really can't uh, find rationale in things or people that are irrational. And when it comes to people who are assholes, um, try to. Try to be try to be as kind as you can to those people because the reality is is that we don't know what they're going through, what their day has been like that day, the struggles and tribulations that they're dealing with in their life. So they're being assholes for a reason. Who knows if that's their whole life or just because they're having a shitty day, right? And the only thing you can do is just keep pushing love and maybe it'll brighten up their day and maybe they won't be an asshole post that. And if they're being an asshole to you for like these irrational reasons, well then just let that shit go because that's their problem, not yours. I agree. And there's ways to do that without being a pushover and also knowing your boundaries and when someone crosses a line. Um, Absolutely. I would say that it's really dependent on the person. So for instance, maybe uh, this person who is, you know, an asshole or very negative is your boss or maybe it's your mom and you don't want to completely cut off that relationship so it's it's really 
dependent on the person, the relationship, and ultimately, what are your goals? Okay, so if it's your boss and you want to keep the job or you need to keep the job, you know, first off, you can't in many ways be completely honest with them because if this person, you know, doesn't really rely on logic or empathy, then you sharing your experience of them isn't going to sit well with them and it may end up making things worse. So it really comes down to like taking care of yourself. I actually took this this training called How to Deal with Unreasonable People, and what I found most interesting about that is really figuring out the motivations of this person and playing to that. So, for instance, just say it is your boss and, and just say their motivations uh, at the job, and which would be the context of the relationship with you as a colleague, is... Uh, just say to make more money, uh, then really play to those strengths and let that be, I guess, the lens through which your relationship is with them. Um, Again, you have to know your boundaries. So if you're actually being, say, verbally abused or worse by this person, well, then at some point you need to cut bait. But I think it really comes down to understanding the psychology or the motivations of the person that you need to deal with and always moving in the direction of your own best interests and maybe sometimes your own best interest for instance keeping a job would align with the the motivation or the interests of that person that you need to deal with and conversely if you don't have that kind of relationship with the person who's being an asshole or or who's not rational and they aren't doing anything but making your life more miserable in certain ways or making you feel uh, certain negative feelings, then cut them out of your life, you know, or, or just don't really engage with those, with those people and just move on. You don't need to keep someone around. If you don't need to keep someone around, um, you can move on from it. If it's someone that does play a role in your life that is important, just try your best to be empathetic. Try your best to find the good things about them as Jordan said, look at the motivation. As Justin said, you never know what's going on in their lives. So if you can approach them from an empathetic standpoint, you can probably put yourself in their shoes and understand them a bit more. And you end up kind of looking past what's on the surface and you feel something a little bit more strongly that's more positive or supportive for that person a lot of times. But you can't let it bother you and you don't need to let it bother you. Um, There's always a way around it. Yeah, for me, it helps to develop empathy, just thinking of the phrase, hurt people, hurt people, which I think is very true. You know, if if people are communicating or spreading fear or hate, it's usually because that's what they're filled with. Yeah. Uh, So for me, it, it helps me to have empathy for others. But at the same time, I think it's important to have boundaries for ourselves and not allow that to really dictate you know the relationship or that we say it's okay because we have reasons to explain it on their behalf and i think that can be a slippery slope for people too um real quick um ahmad's second question uh he's asking about how do you get rid of the fear and or anxiety of approaching people you've never talked to before but who you really want to get to know um but you feel like something's holding you back and uh, just reflecting on this question for, for a little bit, uh, one, for me, it helps to 
think about what my goal is. So, and this is a theme for a lot of these answers for me today. It's what's the goal? So if the goal is to maybe collaborate with this person, then it helps to focus on that. And that will help, I guess, put more stock into the courage uh, to outweigh the fear to, to make the introduction. Um, beyond the goal, it helps for me to normalize other people. Oftentimes we put people on a pedestal as if they're like better than us or more important than us or our time. And I'll often look at a person that I perceive that way and think, okay, that dude took a shit this morning and that dude once had his heart broken. And it helps create this level playing field that doesn't make a person like that as intimidating for me. Um, lastly, I'll say what helps is for me to focus on the feeling that I'll have for doing it. And also, if, if fear is a better motivator, uh, focus on the feeling that you'll experience if you let that opportunity go and then live in regret, which is an awful feeling. Um, now, that doesn't mean that the outcome needs to be the one that you want. But for me, even if I get rejected, the fact that I, I did the introduction or I made that ask, I'll feel better about myself for doing that. Yeah, I agree with all that stuff. I couldn't really summarize it better. Yeah, I agree with it as well. Yeah, um, yeah, regret's a motherfucker. So if, if, if you feel it, just go for it. Wonderful, Mr. Justin. Thank you very much. So moving right along, uh, I think we just got one more question that we're going to dig into today. There were a couple more, but I feel like we've addressed them uh, throughout other episodes. Um, so this comes from Michael Karlquivist, I think. He's from Sweden. That's really cool. Uh, so Michael says, uh, hi again, love the podcast. Great work guys. Well, thank you, Michael. Uh, so this one's for Justin specifically. Uh, so Michael says, I'm really interested in intermittent fasting. What's your take on it? Do you include juices and bone broths? If so, when and how? So I know Justin, is this something that you experiment with daily, weekly? What's your approach with it? I think if you're going to do something like this, an approach like this, you have to give it uh, enough time. And what's that? I don't know, three, four weeks mm -hmm. to, to actually feel some results. Um, and real so, quick, for those listening, Mr. Justin, can you give like a very short definition of what this is? Yeah, so intermittent fasting, sometimes called IF, uh, or time-restricted feeding, TRF, um, is really just referred to as uh, an idea of putting constraints on the actual amount of time or the time window that we're going to be eating uh, in a certain day. And generally on the short end, that'll be 12 hours of not eating and 12 hours of eating or 12 hours of fasting and 12 hours of breaking that fast. Um, and people will take it, I mean, people will take it very far, but um, I've seen most research will be between um, 12 hours of fasting and 16 hours of fasting, which gives you a window of between eight and 12 hours to actually eat. And it's interesting when I think about this, I really go back to what like my brother and I would hear our parents or I guess maybe our mom would talk about, <coughs> excuse me, this thing that Oprah would say about like not eating after seven o'clock. And although there was, uh, I don't think she ever followed it up with science. I now understand the why 
behind why she was actually saying that. Um, and for that, when people talk about intermittent fasting, we just talk about uh, decreasing uh, your fat that you have on you, your fat mass or fat accumulation. You can increase your lean muscle mass, uh, reduce inflammation, et cetera, et cetera. And I can post uh, actual articles, peer-reviewed articles, science articles that people can kind of go through, and I can summarize them for people as well. Um, and so I want to I want to get into the parts that he was that Michael was asking about do you include juices and bone broths if so when and how uh, the deal really is is that you're not supposed to consume anything aside from water during your fast um, because I believe that you have to recruit enzymes to actually break down whatever you take in that's not water so the deal is to stick to water and then during your actual time when you're eating you can pretty much do whatever you want. If you want to do juices, knock yourself out. If you want to do bone broth, go for it. Um, the only real rules are pick a certain amount of time that you're going to fast and then try your best to stick to it. And the nice thing is that your body actually has these signals, their hormones uh, that will tell you that you're hungry. It'll tell you when you're full. And the more that you practice the more that these uh, these signals will actually get in tune with your body. So when your body says it's it's supposed to be hungry is because usually the day before or the, a few days before that, that's when you were eating. So if you're used to eating at eight o'clock in the morning, a couple of minutes before that, your body will get ready to eat. And if you decide, hey, instead of eight o'clock in the morning, I'm gonna start eating like Matt does uh, or did do for a while where he ate between 2 p.m. and 10 p.m., the body won't really give a shit if you don't feed it at eight o'clock in the morning. It'll start to get hungry around two, which is what it's used to. And it's pretty much as simple as that. It gets easier too as you go along. And I didn't start with a 16-8 window. I started with, I think, 14, I think we were doing, Justin, 14-10. So I would yeah. fast for 14 That's hours and I would have a window of, of 10 hours where I could eat whatever. Um, and then I just gradually increased it to 16 hours of fasting and then eight hours of eating. And it fluctuates. Like, you don't, it's good to do it consistently for a number of weeks, as Justin said, especially when you're really trying to get used to it. So I think initially I did it for a good five, six weeks um, pretty consistently. And then I've been a little bit more lax lately just because of, um, just my schedule and the the times during the day when I can and can't eat and what I'm doing but it's something that now that I know that I can do it and I know the health benefits I try to do it as many days a week as possible Um, and now that I'm going out on tour uh, because I'm going to be in a set sort of regimen every day that's pretty consistent I'm going to find the hours that work best for me to be in this 16-8 sort of framework of, of fasting and eating just makes you feel better. It's so much better for your body, Justin. I mean, I know you can go into that stuff. And if you post some research or um, some videos for people to watch, I'm sure they can, you know, really learn about the benefits of it. But um, yeah, I pulled. I actually pulled a couple of benefits. Just marking down some stuff from just legit scientific research. Uh, post that stuff in the group, and I think people, if if, uh, if they're really interested in it, can dig in. Um, so that'd be great. So Matt, you mentioned that you're going on tour. Mm-hmm. So we're recording this uh, late Sunday afternoon. You leave tomorrow night, mm-hmm. and you're going to Columbus. Yep. How long are you gone for? Uh, I'll be on tour through the very beginning of December. Okay. So like a bit more than a month. Yep. How are you feeling about it? 
Good. Uh, it would have been a lot better if I didn't have the challenges that I've had at home lately with family being ill. Um, but there's never a good time to leave. You know, change is always a, a challenging thing for me. You know, when I'm especially when I'm rooted into something. Being on tour for a while and then coming home is always a big culture shock, and then being home for a while and then going on tour is always a big culture shock. Um, so I'm excited in certain ways, and then I'm you know I'm sort of I've drawbacks in certain ways, but. At the end of the day, I know that once I actually get out on the road and start playing shows, that I'm going to very quickly sink into the schedule, and I'll enjoy it, and I'll dig in, and it'll be great. Um, it's just tough flying the coop, as you as you say. When you leave home, um, and you have things that are going on at home that are more serious, it's a lot harder to leave because those things weigh on your mind, uh, and it's not as easy to just sort of put on the blinders and tune things out when you have to check in and when you have just things going on with loved ones at home. So in that sense, it's definitely going to be challenging. Um, but the good part about this tour, which may sound funny to some, is that it takes place in the U.S. And when traveling in the U.S., we kind of, we just know that if there's ever an emergency at home for any of us, it's very easy within a matter of hours to get back home. Mm -hmm. So with that being said, there's a comfort there in that with what is going on currently right now, if I need to get home, I can. Um, and again, the, the family always comes first, so that is a priority. But anyway, to answer your question, I'm definitely excited. Um, we're going out with Animals as Leaders, um, who are great friends and they're a great band. And you know, Periphery and Animals as Leaders have done a lot of touring together. So that'll be great, it'll be like one big happy family. Uh, I just loaded up the tour bus today, so feeling really comfortable there. We've, we've taken this bus out and we've worked with the driver before and he's great, so that's really comforting to know. Uh, and I'm gonna be doing a lot of uh, satellite podcast episodes while I'm on tour. I'm gonna be interviewing guys in my band. I'm gonna be interviewing the crew. I'm gonna be interviewing uh, people from the other bands. Um, and I'll just sort of be churning out some content for Chocolate Croissants. I think Jordan and Justin will be doing stuff at home as well. We'll all be working together, of course, and doing these kind of episodes where we're calling it via Skype. But um, some weeks you may get more than one episode uh, coming up and then at very minimum you'll get the you know typical every Monday episode from us each week with either a guest or with the three of us or some sort of contingent uh, of, of us kind of digging into some topics so uh, I'm excited to, to see how it works with that kind of dynamic yeah it'll be interesting and then after that I mean do you have touring plans no after that we're back home uh, and next year we start working on new music Okay, so if you weren't aware that Matt's going on tour for the next month, uh, what periphery.net? Is that what Yeah, it you is? can find all the tour dates at periphery.net. Uh, I'm also teaching uh, drum classes almost every single day. So if you're interested in learning more about that, you can message me on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash Matt Periphery. You can just send me a message and I'll happily fill you in about that. That's a good chance to sit down. We typically dig into drum stuff, but it always becomes more of a, uh, of a coaching session, you know, and, and we talk a lot about, you know, a lot of different things in life in general. So if, uh, if you want some time, <clears throat> uh, that's a really good time because our schedules are pretty crazy otherwise. So I like to block that out for those reasons. Cool. So if Matt is coming near your place of residence, you have been warned. Uh, this may be uh, the last time in at least many months, I yep. think we can confidently say. Cool. Uh, Justin, Mr. Justin, you have anything else, my brother? 
Yeah, um, a couple interesting things. Ahmad, who asked the second to last question, he comments on my Instagram post. He actually was saying that he's been experimenting with a, a five to six hour window of eating. So maybe he'll share with us his, uh, his thoughts on his intermittent fasting. Yes, please. Yeah, that'd be great. And um, I'm going to put together some information for the group. And, uh, and I'll be posting that in the group for everyone. I'm also starting to, uh, I'm thinking about maybe pivoting towards the idea of doing infographics, you know, just to kind of help people see a very clear picture. And then they don't even have to really read through uh, what I place below that. And so uh, when I do start doing that, I'll definitely share that with the group. You should do that. Yeah. You should do that. Yeah, definitely. I have to just have, I have to figure out how to do that, but I, I can figure it out for sure. I'll just put the extra hour that I would normally maybe play games on my phone into doing that. Uh, aside from that, um, uh, let me pull the date again. The date is November 11th. That's soon. That's in a couple Saturdays. Um, that is when Matt is playing in Philly at the Electric Factory, and I think I'm going to go to that show, and I think we may do some chocolate croissant stuff there, Jordan, if you would like to join us. Oh, fuck. I'll be in that, I'll be in Fort Lauderdale with the Ring yeah. of Honor. Okay. We'll hold down the fort for you. I appreciate it. Yeah, no uh, Yeah, that would, that would have been cool. But uh, again, the priorities goes back to that. Um, yeah, actually, you know what? I want to ask the um, the chocolate croissant. We need like a name, like the chocolate croissant community nation, something or other. The, the chocolate croissant tours. Uh, again, if anyone has some musical ability, I know a lot of people do in this group. We are looking for some intro music for the podcast. So if you want to throw something up there, we would love to check it out and potentially use it. And that would be awesome. Have you thought about that, Matt? What that music would be? No. Okay. <laughs> Jordan did. Jordan nailed it. Jordan, would you like to share with the people? So I have this romantic idea of being in Las Vegas and waking up at like 6.30 in the morning, reading by the pool. And they had this really cool music that came on. And as soon as it hit like 8 a.m., it changed. But it was this like... It was electronic, but it wasn't like what you would consider EDM. Uh, but it, it just felt very much this like early morning, uh, very rhythmic, uh, very, I don't know if meditative is the word, uh, but I don't know, it, it, was, it was rhythmic based and it felt good, it felt inspiring, there was an energy to it of wanting to start the day. Point being, uh, if there's like metal guitar or drums, uh, which I'd assume is what most would uh, their instincts would be for this. Uh, honestly, I'm not interested. I don't know how you feel, Matt. Um, Jordan, you're so romantic. I know. I know. My I have this romantic vision. How many romantic visions do you have? I don't want to hear about that. Um, <laughs> Yo, wait, and I one mean, other we're, thing. We, we're always looking for a lot of things from, from our listeners. And Agreed. And open to a lot of things, whether it's music for the podcast, which we can change weekly, um, you know, or even over a series of episodes, whether it's graphic design, if you guys yes. have ideas for logos or different visuals that we can use to post on our socials to promote the episodes. I say we don't need just one. We're open to changing it up and having you guys be as involved as possible. So feel free to submit some stuff to the group, send music our way. Um, I, I would say we should probably create a thread for this, a thread for submissions to for, for content to be used in the production 
of chocolate croissants podcast um, but if we have a thread for that then uh it'd be great if you guys are interested in submitting music visuals whatever and we'll go from there so just do whatever you feel what is what does the podcast mean to you what does it make you feel let that show in your art yeah zordon one of your favorite shows they did this didn't they the law uh yeah they took submissions for a theme song Okay, so okay, again, so, yo, we'll Justin. post that this week. And we also need a logo. So graphic designers, or if you just kind of like to make some stuff, whatever, again, the... Yo, the, Justin, honestly, shut the fuck up. Matt just said that. Thank you very much. I'm just saying, whatever represents you, we need one. Tyson needs to get out of here. Okay, um, got it. So we're going to shut yeah, this Tyson. down. Matt's going to go home and then go on tour. And we will continue with chocolate croissants uh, each and every week, as we said. Uh, again, as always, we're very grateful and we respect and appreciate your attention. Thank you very much. Uh, the Facebook group, one more time, facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants. It's a private group. Uh, it's very engaging. If you want to join, uh, just click whatever you click and we'll accept it. You'll be in. You can check out the engagement if you want to uh, actually engage yourself, whether that's add to a thread or even start your own thread. Uh, feel free, and I think you'll find a lot of value in that. Uh, if you're just trying to promote something, that's cool. We have a, a thread called Share Your Shit in there for that specifically. Uh, if you could take a minute and uh, open up your podcast app, type in Chocolate Croissants. There's a subscribe button. You can do that. It's very easy. It makes sure that every episode gets downloaded into your phone app of choice every single Monday morning. That way you don't have to use your data when you're listening in the car or at the gym or wherever else where you don't have a Wi-Fi connection. And lastly, on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, if you would take like 20 seconds and, and leave a rating and a review, uh, it helps us and we'd appreciate that. Episode 31 is next Monday. We don't know what the fuck episode 31 is going to be, but I think we're all excited to figure out what that will be and to create it and to share it with all of you. Uh, we will see you all in the Facebook group. Uh, later today and this week uh, I think that's it right that's it we'll share who the guest is going to be and what the, the uh, topic is going to be for episode 31 in the Facebook group so join up if you want to know that information very good very good okay I'm not going to give Justin the opportunity to add anything else uh, because uh, I have nothing oh thank god okay so until next week guys 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 Bye-bye. Hey guys, Matt here with the Chocolate Croissants Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by our very good friends at Nata Tattoo, a certified all-natural, all-vegan, and all-organic premium tattoo care brand. Their renowned tattoo care kit covers all steps from how to treat and protect your fresh tattoos to how to keep them healthy and looking great even when they're fully healed. Now, I personally have a bunch of tattoos, and I've always struggled with finding the best aftercare treatments because I have super sensitive skin. Even my tattoo artist, Mr. Eric Willis, you can follow him on Instagram, at Willis, will tell you that he is super careful while tattooing me because my skin has the tendency to become super inflamed and get ripped up. I actually have some scars in some of my tattoos just from some really bad aftercare treatment that I used previously. Um, so I'm, I'm extremely picky about what I use. And when I had the chance to use uh, the Nata Tattoo Care Kit on one of my fresh tattoos recently, I was presently surprised with the results. It healed up perfectly and it looks great. I started with their cleanser that they offer as part of their tattoo kit. And for the first 
few days, I applied that along with the lotion that they offer as the second piece of their tattoo kit. And then finally have continued using the balm, which is the third piece of their tattoo kit. Now, the cleanser was super easy on my skin, really doesn't have a strong scent at all. If, if any scent, I mean, it's barely noticeable. Um, the lotion smells and feels really great. It doesn't leave an oily residue and it reduces the inflammation and infection it actually feels really good going on. And then the balm has kept everything looking really, really good. It looks like restored from, from, you know, like the first day that I got it and it's fresh. And, you know, I always think that the second day of a tattoo always looks the best. And with the balm being applied every single day since, um, that's what it looks like. It looks like I just got the tattoo. So it looks great. Um, I also have been using the moisturizer and the balm on my older tattoos, some of which are years and years and years old now. And it's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty freaking cool. Um, how much these tattoos pop, like I said, even years later. Um, so, you know, just a little bit of history very briefly on the brand. Um, Justin and I got the chance to meet the folks at Nata Tattoo while we were attending the Health Expo East when it was here in Baltimore some weeks back. And we had a chance to speak with Nata Tattoo's founder. Uh, her name is Christy. And we were really happy to learn that Nata Tattoo is actually a family company that she started um, because she was in search of the best products for her own children's sensitive skin. So initially, she started a brand called Pura Botanical, uh, which offers luxury bath products that are natural, safe, organic, and that would not damage or harm her own children's sensitive skin when they would clean up. Um, but then as her kids got older, and they're, they're now grown men, uh, they started getting tattoos of their own, and she decided to form and begin Nata Tattoo as a way to offer tattoo care that would achieve the same results as the soap products did by protecting and basically uh, keeping care of her kid's skin after they got tattooed. So basically, in a nutshell, Christy is a super mom who created this brand out of the love and passion for her own children. She's probably going to kill me for saying that, but it is what it is. She's a super mom. Um, and now what's so cool is that she's offering these helpful products for all of us other inked up kids out there. Um, and you know, we got to say thanks mom for that. Um, the company is also huge into philanthropy. They do a lot of work locally in Florida. Uh, they also do work overseas and their goal has always been to create authentic products that work and that have been built off of the foundation of a mother's love. And frankly, it doesn't get much better than that. I got to say. So whether you have existing tattoos or you're in the process of getting fresh ones right now, I'd highly recommend giving Nata Tattoo a try. The company has been very, very kind to us and they've actually opted to provide all of you listeners with a special discount code that gets you 25% off of any of the products in their store, including the tattoo kit that I described before that comes with the cleanser, the lotion, and the aftercare balm. If you like to purchase this stuff and use your discount, just simply visit natatattoo.com. That's spelled N-A-T-A-T-A-T and the number two.com. Once again, that's N-A-T-A-T-A-T-2.com and use the code CHOCOLATE25 in all caps. That's all one word. Chocolate is all caps. The number is 25 at the end. CHOCOLATE25. Use that at checkout and get your 25% off all of the products on natatattoo.com. You can also check them out on their socials. On Instagram specifically, they're at natatattoo. And once again, you can get your discount right now at natatattoo.com. That's N-A-T-A-T-A-T-2.com with the code CHOCOLATE25.